1: Mike Rosen. Now the reviews are in. It's Mike Rosen at the movies on KOA News Radio, eight fifty a.m. and ninety four one FM.
2: Good morning and welcome to the program, Christian Toto. Alongside, of course, you can see what's happening inside Hollywood and other entertainment venue, venues at hollywoodintoto.com. You see the marbles in my mouth. This is because <laughs> I had to be retrained to do talk radio since I missed. You missed the whole last week. Saturday, yeah, That's true. Did you miss me?
3: I did miss you. I always have fun with Lori Lynn, but Lori you, you Lynn were did missed. a wonderful
2: job as always. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful to have her as backup. She's our producer and produces other things here at the station. She stays very very busy, so I feel comfortable. <laughs> That's right. In not being here, knowing that you guys will do a wonderful job. What did you talk about last week? What do we talk about? Uh, I am forgetting what we talk about. Uh, know, Glass, we talk about. People ask me, what movie <laughs> do you see last week? And we see so many, I just lose track.
3: I get that same thing. I always get asked, what do you recommend? What have you seen yeah. lately? And my mind instantly goes blank. It's the weirdest thing. And I've had it for years.
2: When they ask you, what was your favorite movie last year? <laughs> I don't know what to say to
3: that. Yeah, yeah. We talked about Glass. That was one of them. I, I do remember that. Mm-hmm. And the Dairy Girls, yeah, Dairy Girls. That that was that's a good show too. The Dairy Girls, Dairy Girls, yeah, the new they Netflix. M- they milk
2: cows or what? They
3: don't. They're sort of uh, kind of out of control teens in Northern Ireland, and it's a very fun show. Only six episodes, half hour each, and it's been kind of a hit on Netflix.
2: Uh huh.
3: But Netflix just every day new stuff, new stories, new movies, new TV shows, new specials. They're cranking it out.
2: This is one of the difficult decisions you have to make these days when you have. This uh, mountain, this deluge of uh-huh. things you can watch. How do you really, decide what to watch? It's true. I mean, there's
3: great shows and there's really great shows. And this goes that are pretty good. Then there's guilty pleasures. You have to kind of sift through it all just to find out what you want to watch. It's a great problem to have. I mean, boo-hoo, we have so much great content out there now. But it's hard to pick out what to watch.
2: Outlander just finished its current season, leaving you uh, cliffhanging once again. <laughs> although they did resolve some things. Uh, I'm not going to say what they resolve because people catch up. Mm-hmm. You want to find out what happens with Roger. Uh, and uh, they they deal with him in the last episode and then leave some big questions about next year. I thought this was one of the better seasons. Hmm.
3: I do like that shows often get stronger as they go on. When I was growing up, the shows that I liked would often get weaker and weaker. Kind of the jump the shark as Fonzie uh, made famous back in the day with Happy Days. But now I think a lot of shows, the writing gets sharper, the actors really get into their characters in a way that wasn't
2: possible in the first couple of seasons. Right now, the timeline is 1775. Mm-hmm. So we're a year or so from the battles of Lexington and Concord mm-hmm. and the shot heard round the world and the Declaration of Independence and the American Revolution. And of course, Jamie and Claire are going to be caught up in it in that this huge estate they have in North Carolina uh, is at the behest of the Brits, hmm. and uh, they're going to want to enlist Jamie in the cause against the American revolutionaries. Oh, so, how are they going to deal with that?
3: Yeah, and don't tell me who wins that war, by the way. I don't. I don't. I it
2: don't was in all the papers. <laughs> most That's most right. people out there probably know. <laughs> uh, so, we're going to talk this week, this Saturday, today, uh, about uh, Stan and Ollie. And I saw the screening of that just this past week. Act, mm-hmm. uh, No, I'm sorry, I didn't see the screening. I missed the screening, I was out of town. I, I saw it at Chez Artiste uh, this past week. It's not in general distribution, is it? No, it's a smaller film. I think it really tried to get some award season love,
3: and it didn't get it. I'm a little surprised by that, because not only is it a very good film, but the acting is sensational. And usually Oscar voters like biopics and people recreating the lives of other folks and that's right here. So it seemed like it was in its wheelhouse, but it didn't happen. And uh, I, I love this movie. And I saw this movie a while ago. I was able to get a screener of it. One of the first things I thought of was, I think Mike's going to love it, and I can't wait to talk about it with him.
2: I, I did love it. Now, mm-hmm. people who remember watching Laurel and Hardy as kids are going to appreciate this film so much more. Yes. It's not a documentary. It's a kind of a docudrama. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder whether this is going to resonate with millennials at all, whether they care.
3: Yeah, I mean, if you didn't grow up with watching these shorts and their films, if you're just, if this is your first exposure to them, I think you will appreciate it on a human level because these characters are really fully dimensional. They're flawed. They're lovable at times. But I think it's, I think that humor translates. I, I still think it's funny and it's cute and it's whimsical. And I, I listen, I hope that a young person would watch this today and laugh. And I think if they don't, it would make me sad because that this, to me, this is timeless. It doesn't have to be rooted in any sort of, you know, wink, wink, commentary. It's just goofy and funny.
2: It's going to be only in limited distribution. So mm. it's probably not going to do 10 million in box office.
3: No, it's got 2.1 so far. That's in five weeks, which is probably not terrible. It's about 700 plus theaters. So yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not sort of engineered to make big bucks. That's for sure.
2: Is Amazon Prime, or is Netflix going to pick it up so it can be more widely seen? Um, You know maybe
3: at some point, I don't think yet, it's still in its theatrical run, and I don't think it's directly connected to either of those two services. Like uh, Beautiful Boy from a few weeks back, that was an Amazon production, so the Amazon service got it quickly, but this one I don't think has that sort of connection.
2: I was overwhelmed with the performances of Steve Coogan, who played uh, Stan Laurel, and, uh, excuse me, <laughs> Laurel and Hardy. That's Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy. Okay, yes. that's right. You got it. Uh, I, I was overwhelmed with their performances. John C. Riley uh, was <laughs> Oliver Hardy, and Steve Coogan, even more so, yeah. was Stan Laurel. Great. I mean, the, the facial appearance, uh, the girth of, of mm-hmm. uh, Ollie and, and the slimness of Stan, uh, the, the voice patterns, the facial expressions, mm-hmm. the, the body motions. Yeah. It was scary. It was great. And it's the kind of thing where you, you, you
3: watch it and you don't feel like it's an impersonation. It's sort of, a, a, I guess, maybe a recreation is a better way to say it because it didn't feel like a, a stunt. It felt like actors playing a role, becoming other people and bringing it to the, to the screen. It's great. I agree. And not a best actor kind of conversation at all for either of these guys.
2: I'm shocked. Uh, you remember... Uh, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy a little bit yeah uh, Edgar Bergen was a ventriloquist and uh, Charlie McCarthy was his his mannequin his mm-hmm. dummy what do we call it it's, yeah whatever you know uh, they were very very popular for a long time mm-hmm. and Edgar Bergen unlike most skilled ventriloquists didn't make any take any pains not to move his lips. <laughs> so if you could read lips, you can uh-huh. know exactly what he's saying. Uh, put in the mouth of of his wooden puppet. Right. Uh, so. Uh, you weren't you weren't fooled that Charlie McCarthy was alive and talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you say this isn't an impression, I agree. This was the real thing. Yeah, this was felt... the reincarnation of Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy. It was it, amazing.
3: It felt so authentic. And you know, obviously, John C. Riley is not a heavyset man, so he's wearing a suit to make him to kind of improve his size. But it again, even that wasn't a distraction. It
2: felt very organic as far as his presentation. Now they didn't actually do plastic surgery. On John C. Riley, did they because no, no, he's no. jowly? Yeah. He isn't that jowly in real
3: life. No, 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 not at all. And also there were some tweaks to uh, Steve Coogan as well, uh, false chin and ears. And also I think they, they put in a teeth, a tooth or teeth guard in his mouth to make his jaw kind of set a certain way to recreate what Stan Laurel looked like. It's just amazing. And, and I think as an actor, you might feel like, encumbered by that kind of material, like, it, it would affect you. But I think maybe it's just rehearsal, maybe they're just, they're just
2: gift as an actor. It never felt that way. It, never, it just felt like it flowed. I'd call the movie bittersweet. It oh, wasn't yeah. strictly comedy. Yes. Uh, these were both human beings mm-hmm. with their ups and downs. Uh, there was some uh, trouble between the two of them because an event that had happened uh, in their earlier career that neither of them got over. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there was true love and affection between the two. Yeah. Uh, even though they had their uh, their rough periods and their their arguments. Uh, I'll say this, the ending was very heartwarming.
3: Oh my gosh, yeah. It was a beautiful, touching ending, for sure. And uh, this isn't the Laurel and Hardy where they were super famous and they were in you know, the stars of Hollywood. This is when they were older, their careers were declining, their health is declining. And the movie focuses on Hardy. And his health matters. But I also read that uh, Stan Laurel had uh, diabetes and had other issues as well. So they were both kind of, for lack of a better phrase, falling apart. But they still wanted to perform.
2: And we discovered that Stan Laurel was the brains of the operation. Yeah, absolutely. Which is the exactly the opposite <laughs> impression you'd get from the characters they portrayed. Yeah. All right, we'll talk about that when we come back from this break. Also, we have a member of the Mike Rosen Club who will help us with the movie review. Stay with us back after these words on KOA News Radio.
1: Now, back to Mike Rosen at the movies on KOA News Radio, eight fifty a.m. and 94 1 FM. Along as
2: always with my partner. But by the way, what's uh, what's happening, Christian Toto, at HollywoodandToto.com?
3: Well, I'm glad you asked. There's a new movie review for a film that we'll talk about next week, Miss Bala, with Gina Rodriguez. It's uh, a, a remake of an. Of a Spanish language film, and it's about a young woman who is kind of caught in the wrong place at the wrong time with the drug cartels in Mexico, and she has to not only survive but fend for herself. So I don't know how well it will do at the box office. It's not a big draw, uh, but I had some real <laughs> issues with the movie. It's sort of ambitious in a certain way, but kind of a mess in others. So we'll we'll dig deeper into
2: that next week. All right. So back to Stan and Ollie. The opening scene is set in 1937 at the height. Of their career when they're working for Hal Roach at Warner Brothers, and what you're what you're watching is their performance uh, in a, a dance number called "Way Out West." Mm-hmm. Now uh, they won't be confused with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers as far as dancing skills, but their their choreographed dance steps were amusing. Yes, uh, and they they do this to the uh, the. Uh, a number called Way out West' as I mentioned mm-hmm. uh, you 'll see this repeated later in the show as well, uh, and they 're doing it in a studio with a phony backdrop <laughs> uh, it 's a western scene that yeah. you see behind them. You get a sense of what it looks like in a in a movie studio, uh, but that only lasts a few minutes and then they fast forward sixteen years later to one thousand nine hundred and fifty three and by then their affair was their, their careers were in their twilight mm-hmm. and uh, ollie 's health. Uh, because of his weight and his girth, uh, was failing, and they decide to take a tour in Europe, uh, culminating in in a big show in in mm-hmm. London. And this is also going to be part of the promotion for uh, a takeoff on Robin Hood. That's right. That Stan is writing because that's what Stan does. Uh, Stan is very serious offstage, and Stan is also a tough businessman. Uh, trying to renegotiate a contract, and this is key. Mm-hmm. By the, I was aware of this uh, historical note before I saw the movie. Hal Roach, who's famous, uh, <clears throat> was involved with, with um, so many uh, famous vaudeville comedians who then moved into silent movies, uh, Charlie Chaplin and, and others, was, no, was notoriously stingy. Mm-hmm. And he had maneuvered it so that Stan's contract and Ollie's contract expired at different dates, That's right. several months apart. So they couldn't hold out for a raise as a team. Very clever. Now, Ollie wanted more money, but uh, uh, he wasn't going to push it. But Stan did push it and confronted, you see this scene, confronted on a set, Hal Roach. Now, Hal Roach is play, played by Danny uh, Houston, Danny Houston who's, who's the son of that great director and actor John Houston. And he's always played villains. I mean, really <laughs> nasty villain. If you remember uh, Magic City, that movie about Miami in the mm-hmm. 1950s, he, he was a, a terrible, brutal gangster, mm-hmm. uh, capable of all kinds of torture. So when you see Danny Houston, uh, you're not going to get somebody who's a snowflake. That's right. Uh, so um, he, he was so steadfast and so intransigent that Stan winds up splitting from Ollie and getting another partner, for which Ollie never forgave him. This mm-hmm. is very important to the movie, and you discovered this early, so it's not a yeah. plot killer. Uh, it's
3: anyway. also in comparison to what the stars are like today, because when you become famous, you have much more clout and more money and more power, but back then it was the studio types who pulled most of the strings, so they just they just didn't, didn't have the ability to fight back.
2: It's like Major League Baseball before there was yes, free agents. Yes, exactly, exactly. All right, so pick it up from there.
3: Yeah, and so it's they are going on a tour, and they are finding uh, not exactly full houses. They are struggling financially. They've got divorces behind them. They'd like to make more money, and they also want to get more fame, kind of get back uh, in the good graces of Hollywood to make that Robin Hood comedy. And things are not going well. There, there's sort of a little bit of uh, animosity between them. The shows are not doing well. But they still have some of that magic. They still have some of that drive. And as the story goes on, they get a little bit of the old mojo back. And it's all about that transformation and also the bond between these two figures who are very different, different appetites, but they had a respect for each other and a love that uh, is very important. And it, I almost feel like the movie was good f- up until there's one big confrontation. And then the, the rest of it was just flat out great.
2: Yeah, uh, Steve Coogan, who plays Stan Laurel, is a, a very popular uh, British comedian who is famous for doing impressions. Everybody from Al Pacino to Sean Connery. <laughs> and Michael Caine. He's great at Michael Caine. So Steve Coogan is
3: part of this. Um, he and Rob Bryden do these movies called The Trip. The Trip to Spain, The Trip to Italy. I think there may be two or three now. Anyway, it's just like a travelogue, sort of a quasi-scripted they go to these different restaurants and they sample their fairs. And these two men, kind of middle-aged now, are talking about their wives and relationships and comedy and their careers. It's it's like they're playing themselves, but kind of a, car, not a cartoonist, but sort of a fictional version. And they're very funny and very charming. This guy's a very talented fellow. And boy, is he good here. And
2: classic movie teams. Oh, Abbott and Costello, Martin mm-hmm. and Lewis, uh, Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire. Uh, we're not always off the screen yeah, yes. as friendly with each other as they appear to be. I think that
3: Abbott and Costello were much more acrimonious off screen than these two characters. But I, want, I had a quote from Lou Costello, who called Lowell and Hardy the funniest comedy team of all time. So pretty pretty good praise.
2: Uh, yeah, they're, they're classic. Uh, do yourself a favor and mm-hmm. see this movie, especially if you grew up with Laurel and Hardy, mm-hmm. even if you didn't. But especially if you grew up with Laurel Hardy. Now, as we discussed, it's in limited distribution. You can see it at Chez Artiste. I don't know where else it's playing in uh, in the Denver area. It's Chez Artiste is an art house, and they have films that wouldn't be mm-hmm. anyplace else because they're not going to do that big box office. But it was just a great experience, and it's only uh, just over 90 minutes.
3: Yeah, and I expected a sentimental journey. I didn't expect such a good film.
2: Uh, but it was yeah. sentimental in, in many places. Yes. Uh, in addition to that, there's a wonderful line you'll look for toward the end of the movie. It's a very tender moment where Ollie tells Stan, I'll miss us when we're gone. <laughs> I mean, that brought a tear to my
3: eye. Yeah, it was it was very poignant.
2: All right, we've got Bob, who's a member of the Mike Rosen Club, a new member. He's, known, saw the, he's seen the movie, and he wants to tell us what he thought about it. Go ahead, Bob. Hey, good
4: timing. Well, I did kind of grow up with uh, the the comedians you're referring to, and I did have a chance to see the movie. I, I kind of remember the Hanna-Barbera uh, cartoon in the mid-60s.
0: Oh,
3: gosh.
4: And uh, Mike was using the word, putting it in the category of docudrama, and I had thought of it as a biopic, but maybe the two words are
3: synonyms. So. Mm-hmm. They're close enough, I think, sure. You say
4: tomato, I say tomato. <laughs> and then Mike also earlier struggled. The technical term for that is the ventriloquist figure, is
2: the mm-hmm. dummy. The A dummy, okay.
4: Because I, I was going to toot my horn and say I had uh, won a talent show as a ventriloquist as a child.
3: <laughs> gotcha. Okay.
4: My little rural Colorado. Did you and, keep from moving your lips? Well, people liked it. I, I did get a prize, and I, I believe
2: I had some accolades there. <laughs> well, you but, probably didn't know this, but I can do ventriloquism. Uh, without moving my lips. Uh, I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. None of the words are intelligible, but no, I don't move that's my that's lips. Right.
4: Bravo. <laughs> All right. No, I thought the movie was timeless and a home run, to use a baseball term.
3: And what about the relationship with the two? I, I found it very touching and real. Uh, talk about their, their connection.
4: Well, it opens with the uh, sort of tit-for-tat argument, and <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you're gentlemen did such a good job with your praise earlier, but uh you know, the I thought the word betrayal came up and I wanted to mention that mm-hmm. in a way it was a it, you could have the <clears throat> the title of the movie, Stan and Ollie, and then uh it's also a tale of uh reconciliation at the end because mm-hmm. they they both as Mike pointed out, they both seem to uh Managed to express an appreciation for one another and what they've done over the course of a long career. I gather that Laurel wasn't making much money before he was put together with Hardy.
3: Yeah, they're, they're actually working in the same studio and sometimes together. And then someone said, hey, these guys have chemistry. Let's put them together directly and make that combination.
2: All right, Bob, I'm going to give you, if you haven't already gotten one, I'm going to give you about uh, a couple of minutes to come up with a clever unit of measure on a scale of one to five that has something to do with the movie. Christian and I will throw in ours as well, and then we'll tell you what your reward will be. So we'll finish up with Stan and Ollie and then come back and talk about some other movies. Stay with us.
1: You're listening to Mike Rosen at the Movies on KOA News Radio, eight fifty a.m. and ninety four one FM.
2: Let me throw in the current production at BDT stage in Boulder. Now, I've seen this one before. It's really clever. And almost everything they have there is great for kids, but not this one. It's about long-exploited fairytale princesses who have joined the feminist revolution, <laughs> rebelling against poisoned apples, solitary confinement in tall towers, having to kiss frogs, beastly boyfriends uncomfortable glass slippers and bumpy rides in carriages made of pumpkins (laughs) now snow white and her posse of princesses are demanding equal pay maternity leave and fair treatment in a riotous musical comedy satire called disenchanted now at BDT Stage in Boulder, back for this return engagement after an immensely popular run in 2017. The show won the award for Best New Off-Broadway Musical back in 2015. As always, BDT's resident players deliver outstanding performances and it's the best entertainment value in town, including a great a la carte dinner with prices starting at only 45 bucks for dinner and the show. You can call BDT Stage for information and reservations. Call them anytime, probably not on a Saturday morning, but later on. 303 449 6000. That's 303 449 6000 or online at bdtstage.com. All right. So. Okay, let's go back to Bob, who's going to give us a rating on Stan and Ollie on a scale of one to five using a clever unit of measure that has something to do with the movie. Go right ahead, Bob.
4: Well, not trying to sound too verbose, I was thinking of a scene where Lori, Laurel extends the olive branch and gives the basque beret, and then mm. later it gets thrown on the floor in the more and <laughs> more close to violent, physical violent scenes. But uh, I would give it four out of five basque berets.
2: Very good. I'm going to give it four crying jags. I'm going to give it uh, four and a half out of five Pianos sliding backwards down a hill. (laughs) The the Sisyphus moment that they're famous for. That's right. It's one of their signature bits.
3: Exactly. All right. Well, you you reward, Bob, for giving us a great review with tickets to the Alamo Draft House Cinema. Cool. A wonderful place to see movies that you can obviously have a bite to eat, you can have a drink. Those ninja-like servers come in and kind of deliver the food and they go away without interrupting the experience. And, of course, no texting, no talking. This is about the joy of movies, not prattling on to your friends and neighbors. That's not why you go to the movies. So enjoy your passes to the Alamo Drafthouse Cinema.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you, Bob. At the very end of the movie, when they're just before they scroll the credits, mm-hmm. they have a, a couple of um, uh, informative paragraphs yes. online, and this is history. Uh, Ali died about three years uh, after the the movie movie's setting in 1950, I think they in 56 or 57. Stan lived a lot, a lot longer. And uh, even though they had that, that one moment in their career where uh, Stanley, if you will, as Bob put it, betrayed mm-hmm. Ollie by taking on another partner, just in one movie. Yep. Uh, Stan never performed again with anybody else.
3: Yeah. Amazing. And kept writing stories and jokes for the duo, even after Oliver Hardy passed that one. That one struck me in the gut. Like, that was such a beautiful, sweet,
2: emotional note to end on. It was also, no doubt, because he was (laughs) obsessive-compulsive. And even though he wasn't performing anymore, he couldn't stop from writing bits. (laughs) I had a little bit of
3: information about Stan Laurel. First of all, his name wasn't Stan Laurel. It was Arthur Stanley Jefferson. He went by Stan Jefferson for a while. And then he thought, you know, that's 13 letters. Maybe it's unlucky. So he went with uh, Hmm. Stan Laurel. And then his uh, partner wasn't named uh, Oliver Hardy was Norval Hardy, but his father had died at seemingly at a young age and his dad was named Oliver. And that's why he took, took the name.
2: By the way, uh, their wives uh, meet them in London Mm -hmm. at the end of the tour. Uh, And uh, Ali, who's a huge man was married to a much more diminutive Mm -hmm. woman who had been a screenwriter. And Stan was married to uh, a Russian emigre. Uh, who had done some some dancing and was kind of an aspiring actress, but never really made it. I had trouble with both of them understanding what they were saying. <laughs> uh, Ollie's wife had a very strong Russian accent, and uh, Stan's had a very low voice and, and talked like a little bird.
3: Yeah, and I had trouble with the character. I thought they were gold diggers, and I thought they were kind of trying to uh, fleece the gentleman for whatever. And then as the movie went on, it did show that they did have really genuine feelings for them
2: especially Stan's wife
3: yeah yeah and and, and it was in another element of the movie I did not expect
2: okay moving on what's coming up next do we have to
3: (laughs) (laughs) well the big mainstream movie that came out last week was Serenity and on the surface it looks great Uh, the trailer is very compelling it's got Anne Hathaway and Matthew McConaughey they star he is a fisherman she is his ex- Uh, flame, and she's remarried, and her new husband is a very, very bad fellow, played by Jason Clark. He beats her, he berates her, and she wants him dead, and she's going to turn to her ex-husband and say, hey, can you uh, go out, maybe take him fishing, and push him off the boat? So you've got kind of a noir-esque feel here, some very good actors, two Oscar winners, and uh, Jason Clark is, is excellent as well. And it just sounds like a great setup. Now, the movie, if you watch the trailer, or at least some of the trailers, it says coming this fall. So it was sled- scheduled to come out last year. It was bumped until January, and that's never a good sign. Usually when they bump a film, it could be that it's not as good as you think it is. And also January has been a dead zone for movies for quite some time. Not every movie, but sometimes. So this one absolutely just <laughs> epitomizes the bad January movie. It's a terrible film. Um, There is a huge twist involved in the story, and I think when you see the twist, some of what you just watched makes a bit of sense, but it's also just laughable. I was actually literally laughing in the theater at times. My eyes were rolling, really bad dialogue, silly situations, and uh, I want to read a review or two because it kind of sums up what other people thought about it as well. This is from Rolling Stone. Serenity is unburdened by logic or a single good reason for existing. The actors look trapped, pain to utter the next line of dialogue. And then I thought, there have been other movies like this in the past. Maybe this is going to become kind of like a midnight cult movie. Maybe it's going to be so bad that people love it. And because it's earnest, it really tries to tell this crazy story. And it feels authentic in that way. It's not like they were being silly or goofy or making a parody. They made a bad movie with the very best of intentions. And I think sometimes the best so bad it's good movies are like that. So we'll have to see. For right now, it's terrible.
2: When you talked about the storyline, now I'm flipping it, and mm-hmm. I couldn't help immediately thinking of Natalie Wood and Robert Wagner. Oh. As in someone who might have been pushed off. Of yeah, that's a terrible story. Yeah, but uh, I was a huge Natalie Wood fan. I mm-hmm. think she was absolutely beautiful.
3: That has not been sufficiently resolved, has it, that case? No.
2: people still want to believe whatever yeah. they believe. I mean, Robert Wagner, if he, mm-hmm. if he was complicit in that got away with it, I don't know.
3: Yeah, that's it's a mystery that, that continues. So the movie did very poorly the box office, like $4.4 million, And there's some hullabaloo behind the scenes, which has been bubbling out, that both Hathaway and McConaughey are furious at the studio for not giving it more push, more attention, more advertising dollars. And so they've been pretty vocal about that. And the studio fired back, said, hey, listen, we love you guys. We love the movie. But we've been testing and testing and testing and kind of checking out the landscape. There is no appetite for this movie. The, the Rotten Tomato score is terrible. The cinema score, which is what audiences thought of it the first weekend, was terrible. So I, we're sorry you feel that way, but we need to kind of use our resources wisely. And it wouldn't be wise to talk about this movie anymore. So it's uh, sinking as we speak.
2: Talking about the Rotten Tomatoes rating, I neglected to give the rating for Stan and Ali. Oh, yeah. The professional critics gave it 92%. Okay. And the audiences gave it 88%. Pretty close. Very, very high. Yeah. Also, one other note on Stan and Ali when mm-hmm. you see the movie, be sure to stay for the scrolling of the credits afterwards. Oh, yes. Because you're going to see some photographs of the original, the actual Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to see photographs right next to them of Steve Coogan and John <laughs> C. Riley, And it's scary. Yeah. If if I didn't know that they weren't hmm. the original, the authentic, i said, oh, yeah, sure, that's, that's right. Stan and Ollie. And I think, that, I think the think Their makeup... mothers couldn't tell them apart.
3: <laughs> the makeup folks behind the scenes in Hollywood are getting better and better. And we saw that with the Dick Cheney movie, Vice, no matter what you think of the movie, the way they transformed Christian Bell is stunning. They did it here, too. And uh, I think maybe 10 years ago, this movie would look terrible because it would have been looking so off- inauthentic. Here, very natural, very normal.
2: When we come back after this break, I want to tease They Shall Not Grow All, this fabulous documentary about the First World War. We'll probably review that in full next week. All right, one more break. Stay with us. We'll be back in a few minutes. Mike and Christian.
1: All you need is popcorn, a box of raisinets, and a drink. This is Mike Rosen at the movies on KOA News Radio, eight fifty a.m. And 94. one FM.
2: Along with Christian Toto, uh, before I tease They Shall Not Grow Old, you had a couple of other things on your agenda. Let me give you a chance to get those out.
1: Yeah, in the last few days,
3: a movie screened at the Sundance Film Festival. It's called Leaving Never- Neverland. And, of course, uh, Neverland was the... Oh, sure. Peter Pan. <laughs> and it was the Michael Tinkerbell? Jackson oh. Uh, enclave. Oh, that Neverland. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And this is a... Really tough documentary by all accounts about two people who claim to have been sexually abused over a period of time by Michael Jackson. These two people also testified in uh, in his defense years ago, but now they're telling what they say is the true story. That they were kind of caught in his web, under his spell, and they describe things that are very dark and scary and similar. And what's interesting about the movie is that, you know, we've heard these things for years and years about Michael Jackson, the accusations uh, he has um, settled with some people uh, millions and millions of dollars, but it feels like this is a kind of a cultural moment where this movie's going to hit, I guess it's going to come out later this year. It's just now debuting on the film festival circuit where maybe we kind of come to grips with the fact that he might've been a pedophile with, with, a, with more of a certainty than we had in the past. So it's just fascinating. It's, in a way, it's the power of the documentary film because we've thought these things for years and now it seems like it's crystallizing. It's almost like the there was a Lifetime documentary series recently about R. Kelly and re-de- kind of recounting all the sexual allegations against him and all of a sudden he lost his, um, his um, record company and his career may be completely over. Even though we've heard these stories again and again and again, it took a documentary format to kind of maybe solidify it in our minds.
2: So the question some people raise is, is this necessary now, mm-hmm. since Michael Jackson yeah. is, is dead? I guess on the one hand, for the people who talk about their tragic personal experiences, this is closure therapy yeah, yeah. for them. So that might be one justification for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, given the the ongoing sensitivity to this kind of thing, for people who didn't know about Michael Jackson's connection, younger people, uh, this also uh, brings it front and center, uh, which arguably has some benefit in order to perhaps discourage people who might be uh, thinking about delving into this as a matter of pedophilia that they would inflict on someone from not doing it if there's any hope for that
3: yeah and there's also i'm sure other people who are powerful who may be doing this who may be using some of these similar tactics if true that michael jackson performs so it's 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 amazing, and then you have to also wonder: okay, if this kind of gets a collective momentum in our pop culture, do radio stations stop playing his music? If, if we if we kind of as a culture think, okay, yeah, he did it; he was a horrible person, does Billy Jean disappear? I mean, it, it, you know, we've been pulling art for a while now. We 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 made Kevin Spacey disappear from an actual movie <laughs> last year, so it we'll have to see. And again, this is just Sundance we haven't seen it in theaters yet. What if, what if it becomes a hit? What if many people are watching it and are transfixed by it and are horrified by it?
2: You know, I, I wouldn't throw him down the memory hole to use George Orwell's term from 1984, mm-hmm. uh, any more than I would uh, ban the showing of those films, the, the police squad films with mm-hmm. Leslie Nielsen and OJ Simpson because no, I, of OJ Simpson's downfall. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. I just, I think as a culture we're, we're Grappling with that, what to do when you find out these artists? What about Bill Cosby? He's got, a, I mean, a great TV show from the '80s. He's done other films, other. I, he's got a legacy. Is that all gone now? Or Louis C.K.? I think uh, that one disappeared from uh, the FX channel.
2: Should you wipe out Bill Clinton from the history books because no. of Monica Lewinsky? No.
3: Tough challenges all that's for sure.
2: Yeah.
3: All right. Anything else? Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about they shall not grow old okay. because. It came out late last year as a Fathom Events. That's like a one-time only screening. The director here is uh, Peter Jackson, who's made some great films, including the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And it is recreating World War One footage with modern technology, making it look sharper, clearer, and some, vi- and some presentations three-dimensional, uh, colorizing it. And I've heard nothing but raves about the presentation, how haunting, how powerful it is. It was a huge hit, in limited release, and now it's in theaters this weekend in wider release. So I think that the customers have spoken and it could be a big hit.
2: Well, you know, Fathom also does one-day releases like opera performances, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, live uh, riff tracks performances. Uh, This... Is going to be in theaters, maybe in Denver, yeah. It's uh, it's out this weekend. This weekend, yeah. Okay, is it going to be in wide distribution?
3: Uh, semi wide. I don't think it's gonna be like a a 3,000 screen event, but you'll should be able to see it now.
2: Well, its original rollout drew an incredible $5.4 million in only two days of showings. That's massive at at only about 1,100 theaters nationwide, and its second day of release was even better than its first, making $3.1 million. Uh, in a few more theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's gotten some word of mouth. Uh, it's grisly. But how could a documentary about World War I trench warfare be anything but mm-hmm. grisly? Uh, so if you don't want to see corpses on a battlefield, don't see this. However, if you're interested in history, and also an epic event in movie making, it's colorized mm-hmm. and in 3D. I saw a screening of it in, in 3D just the other day. Uh, it's very... Very powerful. It's overwhelming, and it it makes these mostly young men who uh, were eager to join the cause when the First World War broke out to to see them not just in battle scenes, but uh, when they were jocularly making jokes, which is what people do to survive in a situation like this, uh, in in those times when they were when when they were out of the trenches or even in the trenches. Uh it was really really moving. I highly recommend it.
3: Would you think about the footage itself, how the restoration went? Is it is it it's, a remarkable it's difference? miraculous
2: what Peter Jackson uh, did with this mm-hmm. is is amazing. Yeah. Uh and and he's a a noted filmmaker. Uh the original black and white footage came from the Imperial War Museum. And he took that and painstakingly I think it took him several years. Mm-hmm. I think 5 years to actually do all the the technical mechanics on this uh you'll see uh early tanks in world war one uh put that next to uh an abrams main battle tank uh, today mm-hmm. uh, amazing uh the battle scenes no man's land i don't want to get too far into it because we want to get into it in detail yeah. uh, next saturday when we when we talk about it and i hope we can find some people who have seen it who can share the uh, the movie review with us yeah i suspect we will given the popularity and the interest uh so um, what else do we have coming up
3: Well, it's still kind of in a slow period right now. We'll talk about Miss Bala next week, and obviously we'll talk about They Shall Not Grow Old. Uh, I want to mention real quickly before we go, there's a documentary on Netflix, maybe a week or so, maybe two weeks old, called Fire. There was an event a year or two ago called the Fire Festival. It was a high-profile event at a tropical location, very expensive, you know, the kind of thing that the richest of the rich people would go to see, you know, young people, music, uh, hip-hop, pop music, and it was extravaganza, and it was an epic, epic disaster that everything that possibly could have gone wrong went wrong. And the documentary details it in painstaking detail. There are two documentaries on the subject, which is amazing. There's one on Hulu right now. The one I saw was on Netflix. I'm sure they're both very good. I think they have each have unique perspectives on things. But it's just fascinating how much money and time and effort went into something that was a complete scam. It, you watch it and you just can't believe that we were that people are capable of doing this and 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 frauding out so many people. and it's 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 stunning. it's it's watching the people who were hurt by it, watching the people who try to kind of make it all happen, the people who are invested with the very best interests, uh, talented people, artists, social media folks, influencers who are kind of tapped to kind of spread the word. It's really a snapshot of the culture at this moment at its very worst. Uh,
2: not surprisingly, they shall not grow old. This World War One documentary was uh, scheduled and delivered on the 100th anniversary oh. of the, the end of uh, the First World War. On the 11th day of the 11th month at the 11th hmm. hour. So the timing when it f- was first rolled out yeah. uh, was also uh, moving
3: and I think that collectively we understand and know and get World War II. But World War One, I, I think we people don't, I don't think people grasp it. I think this is going to really help people. With that.
2: Uh, back to Stan and Ollie. Hal Roach at Warner Brothers. He died at the age of 100. Oh, my goodness. In November of 1992. Hmm. And you're watching Stan and Ollie performing in 1937 yeah. in this movie. Okay, some good movies coming up eventually yes. after we get the the January doldrums. Uh, we're here every Saturday, Mike Rosen and Christian Toto on KOA News Radio at eight o'clock.